Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 44 of the Bomber Brothers Podcast, part of the Pinstripe Alley community of podcasts. Sean and Ryan are with you, as always, and to commemorate episode 44, a big, big number for Mr. October, we've got a, a really special episode, Sean, two guests, and um, what I would consider to be two of our favorite interviews we've ever done, because these two guys, Ty Hensley, former Yankees first-round pick, who's now trying to work his way back after just an unbelievably bad stretch of luck with injuries, and then former Yankee legend Jim Laritz, and they just both have really, really great stories, and both had some uh, great things to say. I, uh, I Both interviews were awesome, and um, yeah, I... I, we could call today's episode sort of like the comeback kids because we have Tyler, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, Ty Hensley um, working his way back through rehab after being a first round pick. And um, I, I mean, it seems like he's killing it. I, I reached out to him um, because Pitching Ninja put out the video of him having the 3000 RPM curveball, which at that velocity translates to like 37 and a half Bauer units um, in terms of like velocity and spin. And that's something that uh, people got really high on Trent Thornton uh, last year from the Blue Jays as, as a potential breakout candidate because he was posting Bauer units like that. So, um, so definitely something to get excited about. And um, hopefully he's got a bright future. And then we talked to, to Jim Laritz, who, dude, Yan- Yankee World Series hero. I mean, he's probably – the single it takes the single most important swing in what 25 years, 20 years of Yankee history. I mean, there's no more important hit than the home run off Wallers between 78 and what 2001. Yeah, I would say that that is definitely the most important home run in Yankee history since Bucky Dent. I, that yeah, I would, I would probably say you're, you're right. Um, and, and he has his own comeback story coming back from um, his trial and his accident and and working to, to reestablish himself. And I mean, I know you can go like watch games with him now. He kind of runs his own business where you can go to like jimlayritz.com and and sign up for a game watch with Jim and he's selling real estate. And yeah, so two, two really fun interviews. Yeah. And they were both really open about their stories and their comebacks, both, you know, come back, two comebacks and both in different natures, but just both uh, really open about everything that's uh, going on in their lives, and certainly um, easy to root for both of them after after talking to them. And we're really excited to to play those interviews, uh, especially because there's really not much else going on in, in Yankees universe. There's, I, I mean. We were just talking before we started recording, other than guys posting videos of, of working out now that spring uh, pitchers and catchers is approaching. We've got uh, Carlos Stanton bench pressing Adriana Lima. We've got, uh, I think, Luke Voigt. I think Luke Voigt and Giancarlo Stanton were pounding a, a tire with a sledgehammer again. Uh, Gary, Gary was on the beach working out? Yep, yep. So the first video I saw was of, of Stanton. Bench pressing Adriana Lima, nice. You know, like I said, she probably weighs a hundred pounds. It's really not that impressive. <laughs> yeah. um, then I saw Gary working out on the beach, and I'm like, Gary's going to have a big year this year. And I don't know about you, but then I saw the Luke Voigt workout video. This guy is next level, man. I mean, he was <laughs> he was hauling some weight for real. I was impressed. Look, we've said this a number of times since the off season started, but people so easily forget. Not just how dominant Luke Voigt was down the stretch in 2018, but how he was almost just as dominant in 2019 before London when he when he got hurt and first suffered that that abdominal and that core injury. And talking after the season, Voigt made it pretty clear that he never felt the same after that. And now he's feeling 100% and he's ready to go and certainly looks like it in that video. And I am certainly not going to doubt Voigt after... He convinced me through the first, what, three months of the season, hardly a small sample size, that 2018 wasn't a fluke, and, and this guy can hit. So I'm there is no question for who's starting first base for me. Mike Ford looks really good. He's a superior defender, but Voight's bat is uh, 
is just is on another level when he's healthy. Uh, I totally agree. And um, it's not just the the end of 18 and beginning of 19 that gives you hope on Boyd. It's all the all the peripherals, the batted ball stats. I mean, his launch angle, his his hard hit rate, it just screams um, production. And, um, and and that all went away after he got hurt. So it, it, there was a clear dividing line. And just by those videos of him working out, I think he's he's going to come pretty healthy. And um, he seems like the kind of guy that doesn't like to be doubted or and doesn't get doesn't get upset, but uses it as fuel. So I, I I'm going to pick Void to have a breakout year when we do our our predictions. I know um, you know Stanton and Sanchez have been like the sexy breakout picks the last couple of years, but I'm I'm thinking we're going to have a, a huge monster Luke Void season. Um, his counterpart, Greg Bird, by the way, I don't know if you saw the picture of him fishing, but, I did uh, not. yeah, he, uh, he, he looks a little like he's, he's seen some shit, man. He, he looks, <laughs> well, he has, <laughs> yeah. But then I saw the video of him hitting, man, I, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, they're going to trade Anduhar and they're going <laughs> to get Greg Cashman love is the only person that loves Greg Bird more than me. And, um, and we're going to get him back. By the way, I was I was teaching today. I, I uh, my my professor gig, and somebody had a murderer's row hoodie on, and uh, Greg Bird was one of the <laughs> one of the one of the ones in murderer's row. And I was like, damn, what could have been? Life comes at you fast. Yeah, that, that's true. That's sad. Yeah, no, I, I still want to see Greg Bird succeed somewhere. I mean, that such a nice swing, and was just came in with so much promise and uh certainly a shame to see what happened to him but he he's got a nice swing but the more i i look at it doesn't it kind of remind you of a swing and and i don't mean to take this on a greg bird route but doesn't it remind you of like an old school nice baseball swing like the newer swings are a little more violent and like i this is how i feel just observing they're a little more violent than greg birds like he has like the classic lefty stroke you know what i mean like the Tino Martinez swing. I, I feel like now the swings are shorter and more violent. Yeah, I suppose. But it, it certainly seemed like it had the trajectory of a modern swing. Launch angle, baby. Anyway. Yeah, well, hey, we could have had Bird on and we could have been a trifecta of comeback stories for uh, for our interviews. Maybe, maybe some other time. I'm a little more confident in uh, in Mr. Hen- Hensley coming coming back. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm uh, I'm really excited to play that interview, which we will in, in just a second. I, first, I did want to bring something else up. This uh oh. <laughs> over the past few days, we have this surge of of tweets with these. Um, I think it's I think freezing cold takes use the hashtag fans with sources, and we get all of these tweets from these random people. That are saying, oh, my sources are telling me uh, Miguel Andujar is involved in a big trade with Nolan Arenado. And, and like all these ridiculous things. And this is kind of just a plea from me that could we please just knock knock that off? That is so stupid and listen, so annoying. <laughs> I know you're coming at me because I said I, I, there's some smoke on Twitter about Andujar getting traded. Yeah, and then oh. I looked at the smoke, and then it was from, like, NYY fam, blah, 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 and whoever the hell else, and I was like, what is this? I had and- some screenshots of some text messages <laughs> of a guy that had told him some other stuff, but anyway. And they and they tweeted all of it with, like, seven exclamation points just to let you know how important this is and and how real it is. Uh, oh, man, there, there were some... Uh, there were some gold ones. I'm I'm trying to look, trying to look right now. I well, can't. I mean, Vegas has the Yankees as, as the clear favorites to land Ar- Arenado if he does get traded. Yeah, clear favorites. That that's fine. <laughs> Here's one. <laughs> so remember the other night when Clint Frazier tweeted away, uh, tweeted away, tweeted break away and make a way to make it. Mm-hmm. So this this guy who's been at, at the forefront of this this surge, in all caps. How did I not see this till now? Clint Frazier confirms he's being traded. Has to be in the Arenado package. <laughs> what? <laughs> You're gonna feel pretty dumb when it comes out that Clint and and Andujar are going for, for Arenado. <laughs> and then someone else. Well, he's very smart or very dumb. He's gone under the boat, chief. <laughs> and then we've got. Someone else at uh, we've got greedy pinstripes. So oh, that's I, that's my guy. That's trust, my guy. Trustworthy. 
uh, Sean bought into this one. Hearing the Yankees just pulled paperwork on a certain player, generally the precursor to a trade. It's a pretty big name in my opinion. <laughs> and it's that not, was Andujar. It's not Jay Happ. And then someone quote tweets it. And then oh, the same guy that did the Frazier one. All caps again. I confirm this and the two players they pulled paperwork for. I just cannot release the names yet. Working on it. Andahar is in the deal pending. <laughs> so, all right. So, obviously this guy is not not the guy. But if incarcerated Bob tweets something, he's turning out to have a pretty good track record. <laughs> I think we got to... I think we got to show him some love, but but greedy pinstripes has yet to be proven. But Beltron Beltron's niece is undefeated. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, by the way, did you see the Mean Girls adaptation of oh, this? It was incredible. Yeah, that was great. The Syndergaard at the Elf. Yeah, go find <laughs> it if you haven't watched it. And hey, that kid, uh, that Astro kid. I don't know how old he is. The guy that's the Astros fan. Did you see all the 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 data he put out? On, yeah, and our uh, friend of the podcast, Mark Carrig, wrote a wrote a great piece about about him uh just shortly after that all that data was published well damn it i didn't uh, i didn't get a chance to read it but i made my own little graph and tweeted it nobody liked it but it seems to show a vague correlation between the number of bangs in a game and the number of runs in a game oh i didn't see that i'll, I'll have to check yeah, i can out. tell well Maybe I mean, if, if it was it, tweeted by greedy pinstripes i would have saw it well i mean sorry i'm not on that level i don't have people texting <laughs> me about who's pulling paperwork i need to see the paper <laughs> I can't believe that. Uh, first of all, that movie was amazing. Uh, Knives Out, and oh, then yeah, I find out that the the nurse is played by Ana de Armas, who's in uh, uh, Corazon. She, yeah. she doesn't understand the gravity of her illness, and it's like a Yankee connection right into the movie. Yeah, and there, there's the whole thing with the baseball that they broke down and, and effectively. And, a recent Effectively Wild podcast. I, I had to skip over that because I hadn't seen the movie yet, but now I'm going to go back and, and listen to it. Yeah, it's a, it's a phenomenal movie. It was great. Yeah, no, it was awesome. I saw that and 1917. Oh, two yeah, me too. That apart. was another really good one. Two days apart and just back-to-back awesome, awesome movies. Yeah, yeah, they were they were both great. I watched the live-action Aladdin in between the two. That wasn't as good. Yeah, I'm not going to watch that. Uh, if you got two hours and you want to watch a movie, it's not terrible, but... The animated one, excuse me, is much better. And one probably my favorite Disney movie of all time, except for Toy Story. Yeah, mine's Toy Story. All right, well, um, speaking of both being being good in terms of the last two movies you saw, both of these interviews were really good. Let's let's uh let's get going on them if if you have nothing else to uh to talk about. In- oh, I mean, I have plenty to say, but none of it is important. So I think might as well talk to Ty. <laughs> All right, yeah, let's uh, let's talk to Ty Hensley. He, again, a former first-round pick of the Yankees. I mean, run down the injuries. Two Tommy Johns, uh, abdominal injuries, hip injuries. It's been a, a roller coaster ride for him. And, but like Sean said, he, he's on his way back with the 3,000 RPM on his curveball, which uh, Pitching Ninja retweeted and, and helped him get a lot of exposure. Just to put that into context, that's a higher RPM than a guy like, say, Charlie Morton who obviously has one of the top curveballs in the league. So, and it, didn't Ty say in our interview that he's up to 100 on his fastball? I believe so. Let's, everyone can find out right now. All right, fact check. <laughs> There's no fake news here. All right, so uh, here he is, Ty Hensley. Okay, everybody, we're joined now by Ty Hensley. He's a former first-round pick of the Yankees and has just endured so much injury-wise, but here he is still fighting and still trying to make his way back to the pros. And, Ty, thanks for coming on and talking with us uh, a little bit about your incredible story. Absolutely. Glad to do it, guys. So I guess first things first, obviously, like I said, so many injuries and such bad luck, but you just keep fighting. I mean, how are you feeling right now? Do you feel like you're... Do you feel like you're physically ready to make another push to the pros? I mean, uh, you you were on Pitching Ninja on Twitter this morning, and we saw what you were able to do throwing off the mound. So, just how are you feeling physically? And do you feel like are you feeling confident that this is your this is your time to get back to the to the pros? Absolutely, yeah. I you know right now I would say I probably feel physically about the best I've felt in a long, long time. Um, I feel really strong. I feel really stable. Um, you know, I feel like my arm speed is finally like 
starting to come back. Like my arm wants to move fast again. It's not afraid to move fast again. Uh, kind of fine tune some things uh, mechanically with my my uh, uh, my buddy Justin Orenduff here at uh, uh, up in Detroit, um, mechanics wise, and uh, kind of found some things I wanted to tweak and made some adjustments. And I'm still still kind of getting there. Um, just to kind of free things up, make it a little bit easier on myself. But um, no, I like where I'm at right now, and I think I'm going to progress pretty nicely. And, and just some of the things you've had to overcome: two Tommy John surgeries, uh, a, a, you know, really bad abdominal injuries, a, a tear that came off the bone, and, and then hip problems. It's just with with all of that that you've had to endure. I mean, how difficult is it for you to? to keep that drive alive and keep overcoming these things and, and just not getting down on, on the constant unfortunate setbacks. But, you know, here you are still throwing off a mound and trying to accomplish this dream that you've had. Yeah. Um, I think it's just one of those things that I just, my parents always preach to me that, you know, nothing, you know, it sounds really cliche, but nothing worth having is, you know, always comes easy, you know, like you got to work for things and, um, sometimes we all are just throwing some challenges that we got to overcome um, to get what we want. Um, but really, I don't know. I mean, part of me has to be crazy, right? <laughs> but uh, but no, I just think it's one of those things. Like I'm I'm prepared uh, for whatever um, you know, whatever's thrown at me. And you know, I know that no matter what I do in life, um, I'm going to have some success. I'm going to will my way to some success. You know, no matter if that's baseball or something else. And um, I just think it's just a, a thing of really just not being not being scared, you know, uh, not being scared of what could possibly happen and just trying to believe in what potentially could happen. You know what I mean? If that makes sense. Absolutely. And, and Ty, I imagine, you know, you mentioned your parents and, and the advice they give you. Um, I imagine you have a pretty strong support system in terms of people that are are supporting you and chasing your goal. What's it like for your wife, your parents? Uh, what, what's it been like with having them encouraging you along the way? Yes, I mean, man, I don't think, I, I tell you what, I, I don't think I would still be playing or trying to play if uh, I didn't have them around me. <laughs> There's definitely been some uh, some pretty tough nights, um, some tough tough days along the way, but they've uh, they've always been there to kind of pick me up whenever you know I needed it. Um, keep me going they just you know I look over at them and it's just like man they've done so much for me um, you know I owe it not only to myself but to them too to you know kind of see see everything through um, you know because like I said it's just it's life man and, um, you know no matter no matter what uh, you know the outcome ends up uh, happening I know that I'm going to be I'm going to be okay so it's just uh, I'm, I'm definitely really grateful to have the people around me that I do yeah, I guess we're we're all fortunate. We have such a such a strong help around us. And today, uh, you know, I'm I'm looking on Twitter over the weekend, and you see Pitching Ninja posting videos of you hitting 3,000 RPM on your on your new curveball, which you did a really cool uh, video showing how you throw it. That Pitching Ninja also retweeted. Does it add for you extra encouragement knowing that the the steps of your progress are, are getting out there. Does, does that make you feel more confident that you're going to get the looks you deserve now that now that through social media and through scientific, or I guess you know the, the tracking for your for your curveball that more people will recognize where you are physically? Yeah, and I think it's more so just I think a lot of people um, in the baseball world just really had no idea that you know what like where I was, what I'm still doing. You know what I mean? I think the majority of people just kind of just, just didn't really know. And it's, and the thing is, is like, even after every surgery I've had before, every surgery I've had, like, you know, the stuff was always there. Like I always, I, I mean, from the very first day I ever threw my curveball, it was, I mean, I knew, I knew it was special. Um, but it's just one of those things. It's kind of like, you know, you have surgery and stuff. Everything just kind of goes into hibernation. You know, you hopefully, hopefully it's one of those things you get it back, but, you know, I think that would have made my decision easier for me if, you know, I was throwing bullpens and I was like, you know what, I just, I just don't have it anymore. Like, I don't, you know, there's just, you know, but that just fortunately wasn't the case. I, I, through all my struggles and everything, I knew, I, I knew that the, uh, I knew that the stuff was uh, still there. 
um, I just needed to um, I just needed to stay healthy long enough uh, on the field to be able to uh, show it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess I guess as far as as, as definitely like I am so grateful that he uh, <laughs> he and a lot of other people really worked hard to lobby for me on on social media um, because it definitely has gotten me a lot more exposure. And I'm sure here within the next couple of weeks, uh, I'll probably have a better idea of what I'm doing um, this year. Um, but no, it was just cool. It's cool more than anything, just to be able to share, share that whole experience, uh, you know, with the, with the baseball community and everything. So. Yeah, for sure. There were tons of replies. I saw Jose Mesa Jr. like really pumped up to see. And um, I mean, it, it was really cool to see. And I'm wondering, as you're working your way back, you know, now they're doing the, the RPMs on your fastball and your curveball. And, and, you know, I, I don't know everything about that. But I mean, as a pitcher, I know 3,000 on a curveball is it's pretty impressive. Using that technology, does that get you hyped up when you're hitting these numbers? Like, oh, oh man, I'm hitting 3,000 on my curveball. I'm doing something really right here. Sure. So, you know, what's funny is like back in 2014, I was playing up in Staten Island and it's my first year after hip surgery. And this is like, the, I guess, like at least on a minor league level, like the first time that they had like they measured spin rate. You know what I mean? Like, like it just started to become a thing. And I had found out right before I got promoted up there that I like that I had the highest spin rate on my curveball, not just in minor league baseball, but all of baseball that, that year. And so I knew, I didn't know, granted, at that point in time, I had no idea what that meant. You know what I mean? I was just like, oh, cool. Like, I know I can, I know I can spin a ball. I know I've always been able to. But, um, yeah, no, it, it's just one of those things, I guess, when you start becoming more aware of it, you definitely have a better clue of what's going on. But, like, uh yeah, I mean, when I see those numbers up there, definitely, I'm like, okay, I, I, I want to try and remember that feel every single time, you know what I mean? But it's not like every single one I spends over three, I mean, every single one is pretty close, but, you know, sometimes I just don't quite uh, break that line. But, yeah, it's definitely cool. And and also, like like Sean said, uh, adjusted the, the grip on your curveball. I mean, how much how tough is it to kind of go through that change while you're also trying to come back from – from all of these other obstacles and and how valuable is that technology and in, in helping you keep that spin rate where it is while learning a new grip and, and how much was that um, technology a part of you you know making this pitch so effective in terms of rpm and and vertical movement that we saw on the video so i don't think as far as the analytics go, I don't think the analytics has really helped my curveball. I mean, I tell you what, the, the, the day I turned 14 was the first day that my dad ever let me throw it. And I threw one with like a normal grip, like just, you know, kind of both fingers down the side of the ball. And I spun it well, but it just didn't quite do anything. And then the very next one, I was I spiked my finger up like, like I did because I didn't know that other people spiked the other nail. I thought that just always went flat like that. And so... The very first one I threw was just a boom, just a hammer, and I was like, "Whoa!" And my dad, my dad just started smiling because he's like, "Dang, like you're gonna be able to throw a curve, good, like pretty good curveball." And uh, so, like my entire like every like growing up, like it, I always knew that I had, you know, I had that. Now, analytics has been good to try and help me harness that, like within the strike zone. You know what I mean? And I think. Um, more so than my curveball, it's helped me with my fastball. Like, I've started to creep over a little bit more uh, towards the middle of the ball. I think I was hugging a little bit of the inside, trying to get my fastball spin rate up a little bit higher. So it's definitely – I think analytics is, is really good for, for analyzing, like, analyzing your numbers and seeing, like, what you could be good at, like, how you could, like, attack a hitter, if that makes sense, with the stuff that you have. I think it's definitely good to to an extent, but I think some people do get a little bit carried away with it sometimes. And like you like you said, you you know that you have good stuff. You've you've seen your curve move. You know it's special. So it's I guess just given everything you've been through, how much do you find yourself holding on to that reality? Because as you go through all these injuries, how much of you is still reminding yourself, like, you know what you're capable of doing. And if your body can just cooperate, that you will get to where you know you can be. How much is that something that you 
you know, internalize and hold on to as you're going through all these um, rehabs and recoveries from all these uh, injuries that you've endured over the years? Yeah, so I, I mean, I definitely, I would say, I definitely, uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta draw back from some positive things, you know. But I, like the last couple years, like so, uh, 2018 when the Rays released me, I, I had just thrown in my first like actual game situation, so I got past all my live VPs. I don't know if you guys, I don't think you guys know this, but I actually had a third elbow operation in 2017 um, for my. My graft pulled my Tommy John graft pulled my bone off my bone, so my elbow broke, and I had to get a screw put in there. So I actually have a screw in my elbow now. Um, so like the it didn't end with just the two Tommy Johns. I had to have a whole other whole other procedure done, um, and I thought it was going to be a little bit quicker of a recovery, and it sure enough it was, and it was another year. So I got back in 2018 in April, um, throwing. The games in my first game, I got back up to 95, so I was pretty happy. But literally two days after that game, the Rays let me go. I, mean, I think they had just kind of given up on me at that point and just kind of assumed I was going to get hurt again. So I, I mean, rightfully so. I don't, uh, I don't blame them. Um, you know, no hard feelings there. But um, I, uh, I, uh, so I went to Evansville, Indiana, played independent ball all of 2018 it was really really up and down like I just it was like I just had you know I hadn't competed in so long and I kind of forgot how to just kind of really forgot how to pitch um you know I hadn't played in four years like I just kind of had to shake all that rust off so it was really up and down and then I came out and all like towards the end of the year August I threw like a no hitter like a five inning no hitter and like a, a seven inning double header game and that was when I was like, wait a minute. I was like, cause at this point, like before this happened, I was just like so down on myself because of all the injuries of all the, you know, crap that just happened. And, and I just wasn't having success in the baseball field. Whereas, I mean, be honest with you, like my whole life, like I really have only had for the most part, really only success. And, um, you know, little league high school, pro, even pro ball, you know, that when I first started, I just, uh, um, so it was out of the norm for me and I kind of had to learn how to pitch again because, you know, my stuff wasn't quite what it was, uh, before and, and until about now. And so then fast forward 2019, I come to Detroit and come play in the United Shore professional baseball league because I've heard of, I heard of a guy named Justin Orenduff who really has a similar story to me. He's a first round pick to the Dodgers. Um, his career got derailed by injury. So he kind of came up with this um, system called the delivery value system to kind of like score your mechanics to see like your chances of getting injured or like having a re-injury, if that makes sense. Um, so we worked all together last year and the first half of the year it was, you know, it was okay. Still, still more of the same, just not quite uh, pitching uh, yet. And then I think it was, I want to say it was probably like August, maybe maybe end of July. I just went on the stretch of like seven starts where I went, I went into the seventh every single time. So I, I was able to finally get some innings under my belt, um, have some good quality starts, work deep into games, and then my actual my last start of the year was my first nine inning complete game. So like that in itself just kind of gave me the confidence that I needed to kind of like okay, I can do this people around me have been telling me that I can do this. Now I just need to believe it myself. Right. And, um, I think that was really the turning point for me. And I started throwing this off season with Andrew Heaney with the angels. That's my, one of my best friends. And, um, uh, my wife and I actually live with him and his wife in, in Oklahoma city, whenever we, whenever we're there. So we started throwing together and I just really focused on trying to, uh, get my hand speed back and trusting everything and, telling myself that everything is going to be okay and sure enough like man I'm, I'm really loving the results so far so we're i'm just looking forward to uh to uh keep on going keep on going with it really an amazing story thank thanks again that's um ty hensley he was a former first round pick with the yankees and now he's on the comeback trail looking to get back into the pros and ty all, all the best really hope to see you with the major league organization soon really an incredible credible story Awesome. I appreciate you guys allowing me to, uh, to tell some of that. Really appreciate it. 
Okay, a special thanks again to Ty Hensley. I mean, just honestly, how could you not read about him and, and, and just listen to him talk about his story and, and not instantly root for the guy? I know I came away from talking to him. I mean, even before we talked to him, I was, I was reading about there was a great article in the Detroit Free Press that really chronicled his his road to where he currently is right now, trying to get back in, into pro ball. And I mean, it's just, again, how can you not root for the guy? Yeah, I mean, one, he was super nice even leading up to the interview. And since then, which is always cool when you have a guy who doesn't just come on and then that's it. And you, you could tell he's got a, you know, he's got a good head on his shoulders and, and he's not, it's not a pity party. He's, he's working towards something and he's really got lofty dreams and expectations of himself, which he should. He's a former first round pick. He throws a hundred miles an hour and uh, he's pitching nine innings. Even if it's in an unaffiliated league, nine innings of pitching is nine innings of pitching. And uh, so it seems like his health is there. His workout video was quite impressive, by the way, up there with Luke Voigt. So I watched <laughs> that on his on his Twitter. And, um, and yeah, I mean, he's, he's spinning that curveball at 3000 RPM since he changed his grip. And he did a nice video explaining how he changed his grip. So, I mean, I, I'm going to bet he gets a shot. And hopefully we pump this episode up enough. will be the reason. <laughs> I think Pitching Ninja would, would take credit before us. Um, but yeah, hey, pitch, Pitching Ninja has been directly involved with um, other guys getting shots before. So hopefully that paired with Hensley's you know previous success that led him to be a first-round pick and early success he had in his first innings of pro ball after he was drafted by the Yankees. Hopefully that, that helps him get, get back there and eventually rise up the ranks and, and maybe get, get to the major leagues. That would be a, uh, an incredible story. I, honestly, not even to, you know, not not to exaggerate it just because we talked to him and he was on our podcast, but that would be one of the most remarkable comebacks given two Tommy John surgeries, an abdominal tear where the muscle literally teared off the bone. He had hip problems. He His career was almost over because – there was an infection after one of his hip surgeries and the, the doctors almost, you know, made an incision from like his knee to his hip, which could have effectively ended his career. But luckily he got another opinion and they went a different route. Just so many, just so many things. And then he talked about the screw that had to be put in after, after his second Tommy John surgery and, and how he threw a pitch and then saw that, you know, the bone in his, near his elbow was like, poking up not through his skin but there was just like a noticeable bump there where the where the bone was and that he had to get a, a literal screw put in there so just so many trials that that this guy has had to overcome so it would really be an incredible thing if if he can uh continue on this path back to back to the pros yeah and um, we'll be rooting for him all the way i mean think about it just from our perspective 100 mile an hour fastball, wipeout curveball. Who does that remind you of? 100 mile an hour fastball and a wipeout curveball. Yeah. Uh, like a knuckle curve, wipeout knuckle curve. Mike Messina had a wipeout knuckle curve. Yeah, but he didn't throw that <laughs> that hard. I don't know. I mean, it, 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 when I when I think of it, I think of Dylan Batances. Oh uh, yeah. I mean. That's that's his repertoire, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's he. I know he has like a slur. It's more of a slurve, but I mean, he's got a, a massive, a nasty hook and a, and a fastball that is primarily what he threw with the Yankees. Yeah, dude, sign this guy up. Put him in the pen. Speaking of speaking of another guy, we want to see have have a great comeback. A guy, Dellen. Yeah, I mean, I'm pulling for him. Yeah, so we are definitely pulling for, for Ty Hensley. And again, huge thanks to him for uh, sharing some more of his story with us. And, and a huge thanks to our, our next guest for sharing his story with us. And, and Jim Lairitz, obviously more well-known around Yankee Universe. He's been part of two, of two of the more memorable home runs in Yankee postseason history between 95 and, and 96. And didn't even stop there. He had another huge another huge home run with the Padres in 98 to their path to the World Series where they eventually lost to the Yankees. But he's also has 
um, you know, a great story of redemption. And he also told some fantastic stories involving that 96 home run, ones that I had never heard specifically from the Braves' perspective, which was really awesome to listen to. So um, unless you don't have, unless you have anything to say leading up to the Lairitz interview, we can play that right now. No, I'm good. You can you can just roll with it. We'll talk about it when we come back. All right. So yeah, we are going to take a, a quick break, and when we come back, Yankee legend Jim Lairitz. Okay, welcome back, everybody. We're joined now by a Yankee hero, uh, World Series champ with the Yankees, Jim Lairitz, obviously known for his heroics in 1996. Jim, thanks so much for uh, coming on and talking with us. No, great talking to you guys today. And again, obviously so well known for one of which what has stayed and, and remained as one of the biggest home runs in, in Yankee history. And I'm sure you've been asked about it so many times, that uh, home run in Game 4 of the 96 World Series. But do you ever, after all this time, do you ever stop and kind of think about the ripple effects that that home run could have had? If, if, if that home run doesn't happen and the Yankees don't win the World Series, I mean, you could argue that your home run kind of was... Uh, the spark of a dynasty. Does it ever come into your mind that that home run could have drastically changed things for the Yankees, knowing George Steinbrenner's uh, dedication to winning? If the Yankees don't win that World Series, history might unfold a lot differently. Well, absolutely, and I spoke about it many times. Matter of fact, uh, you know, I actually thought the 95 home run, the walk-off against Seattle, was going to be my biggest home run ever. Uh, and, of course, we didn't win that series, so it just became a footnote. Um, but I think uh, the 96, you know, Joe Torrey uh, pretty much summed it up best when he called me up one day and they were having a reunion of the 98 team and they were doing a, a charity function for his Safe at Home Foundation and he called me up and he asked me to come and be part of it. And I was like, okay, I'll come, but Joe, you do realize I wasn't on the 98 team. You beat me. You actually beat me in that World Series. I was on the Padres. And he said, no, I want you to come because I want you to tell the story that if we don't win in 96 and we lose in 97 like we did, that George probably fires me, that there is no 98 team. He probably trades Mariano Rivera. And history does change as far as the New York Yankees go. And, uh, you know, I never thought about it. Uh, you know, I, I always thought about you know, of course, it did start everything. But to hear him say that and to acknowledge it, then you know, I was like, you know what? He's right. That that home run, it, you know, was the reason why uh, all that '98, '99, and 2000 stuff were to happen. And when I've been sitting in the stadium watching all these retirement jerseys of Petting and you know Jeter and, and all these guys, none of that would have happened had we had not won in '96 since George. And it's also interesting to look at it from from the other perspective. You know, this this home run denies the Braves a chance of winning two straight World Series. It's you hit it off of Mark Wallers, an All Star that season, had a hundred mile an hour fastball, and, and then obviously his career wasn't the same afterward. And and the Braves they make it back in '99, but swept away by the Yankees. Does it ever? Do you ever think about the opposite side of that in the fact that you might have not also started a dynasty but also ended a potential dynasty because the Braves were that good of a team? Well, here's what I'm going to tell you. It's really interesting because uh, there's a lot of irony to that because in, out of high school, and if you want to look it up, go online, go on Google and look it up, and put uh, Jim Lairis could have been a Brave. And out of high school... Uh, the Atlanta Braves were supposed to sign me and then draft me. And four days before the draft, I broke my leg. And they decided that they didn't want to sign me. But I, I only fractured my foot. So eight weeks later, I was back playing again. And the, this Atlanta scout came down to watch me. And he told my dad, okay, we want to sign him now. And my dad said, okay, give him $10,000. And I did they came back to my dad the next day and said, listen, they only okayed us for 5000 And the scout was telling the story at, at one of these conventions, and he said that Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy decided to go to junior college. He said, and my dad said, no, he's not, he, he wants 10 grand, he's going to college. So he said, those two scouts just happened to be at the game four 
1996 home run in Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. And they were sitting in the suite, the Atlanta Braves suite. And when I hit that home run, they both looked at each other and they said, do not tell Joshua. And in our front office, for $5,000, we could have changed this entire thing. <laughs> and, uh, and, and again, the other thing too is the last three years I've been up at the, the Hall of Fame and you know, you've had the you know, Glavin, Smoltz, Maddox, Chipper, all going in the Hall of Fame and they all tell the same story that, yeah, that 96 series took away what would have been the Braves dynasty of the 90s and turned it into the Yankees dynasty. It, it absolutely did. And, and in addition to the 96 homer, Jim, you know, you're known for the 95 homer and also hitting the last home run of the century again against the Braves in the 1999 World Series this time. But looking back at your numbers, you got on base a ton. The power was there. Do you think if you had played today, you might be looked at even as a better regular season player than, than you already were because of the way that launch angle and on base percentage is so valued in baseball these days? Yeah, I mean, you're you one of that stuff. I'm, I'm still kind of old school. You know, it's one of the things that I look back at my career and I say, yeah, as much as I had a desire to play every day, uh, that desire, and in the, in the fact that I never actually ever reached that. I did one year in Anaheim, and I was the starting catcher for the first three months. But uh, by chasing that dream of being an everyday player is the reason why I played hard no matter what day it was, whether it was the first game. But Pete Rose gave me some advice as a 15-year-old kid in spring training. I used to be a bat boy for the Reds with Tommy Brenneman. And Pete Rose told me, and I asked him, I said, what makes you so great as far as a hitter goes? And he said to me, Jimmy, because the first at bat in spring training, I treat no differently than my last at bat of the year, whether it's the year or the playoffs, the World Series, whatever it is. And I said, well, why? And he said, because if you treat every event as the most important one, you'll never get caught up in what's going on around you. And that's exactly the mentality that I always had. And I thank him for that because I think that's the reason, even in high school, in basketball, I wanted to, I wanted to take the last shot. In baseball, I wanted to be up at the game on the line. And I remember when Joe Torrey's book came out, they asked Andy Stachowicz a question, who I played with all the way through the minor leagues. And... Uh, they asked Andy, they said, what was it about Jimmy? You, know, you came up with Jimmy and Bernie. What was the difference? He said, well, first of all, Bernie was very timid, very quiet. You know, he was kind of a deer in headlights. He said, Jimmy wasn't like that at all. He said, when we were at A-ball, Jimmy was already talking about what he was going to do in the major leagues when we were all just trying to figure out how we were going to get through a single line. And that was his mentality that he always wanted to be up the game on the line. And that was a great thing to read for me because it's a great compliment and really the mindset that I always had as a ball player. Okay, so Jim, you have a little bit of a reputation of having a good time when you were with the Yankees. I, I read a story where you and Jude actually went out the night before the World Series parade and had to take the subway to the parade because you were out all night. You ever wonder about how, how you just missed out on the smartphone era and how you were able to enjoy time with your teammates more because there weren't cameras every single place you went? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things about that day was, uh, you know, we, we overslept and we, we asked that when we came out of the, Derek lived it on the next block and we, I got together with him, my wife, and my child, my, my son Austin, who was two years old, and we walked outside and we said to the police officers, hey, can you give us a ride down? We're late for the parade. And they're like, dude, you're not getting down there right now on the street, so you got to take the subway. I had been taking the subway all season, but it was Derek's first time. And uh, it was hilarious because we, you know, it's packed. Everybody and the brother was on the subway, and we jumped on it, and all of a sudden people started to recognize. But the great thing about it was, we didn't have any cell phones. There was no one taking, you know, there's a couple of people that had a camera that took a quick, quick photo, but we weren't bombarded with all these different types of phone calls. But you know, one of the great, great things about those, those days before the cell phones was, you know, you could have 10 or 12 guys hanging out in a hotel bar and talking about the game of baseball and you know, developing camaraderie. And I think that, you know, that's a little bit what's, what's missing in the game today because these guys don't have that luxury of if they're sitting in a bar having a drink or something that somebody takes a snapshot and you know, the guy doesn't have a good day the next day, they blame it on him for being out. So I think that's where things are a little bit different today than they were in our day. 
We're talking with Jim Laritz, owner of some of the biggest hits in, in recent Yankees memory going back to 1995. And, and Jim, you've had a lot going on in your retirement. You, you wrote a book. You're involved in real estate now. Just what has it been like getting involved in these new ventures outside of baseball? Well, yeah, you know, it's one of those things that you, uh, you you get done playing baseball when you're 37, 38 years old, and you realize, well, wait a minute, you know, I've got a full life ahead of me that if I didn't make enough money in the game, which I didn't, uh, or go through some tougher times, which I did when I went through my trial, um, that, you know what, you're going to have to to learn how to do other things. And fortunately for me, I went to school in Kentucky and you know, got my associate's degree and, and went to another year and a half of school and uh, was able to go after, uh, of course, you know, doing the radio and TV broadcasting. I had the accident. I pretty much lost everything that, that I had then. But once I got through that, once I got through uh, showing that, you know, the accident wasn't my fault and being able to, being found not guilty uh, during my trial that took three years, uh, I've been able to rebuild my life uh, through change and foundation work uh, with a group called Pig Tie, and they hired me to be their spokesperson about five years ago, and uh, they also owned a title company that supported the charity. The charity raises money for all different foundations and uh, charities that need financial help, and we help them out with that, and uh, they had a title company, and so I started selling title, and I've been doing very well with that. I'm still doing that, but I've also diversified myself now into the uh, selling real estate in New York. I got my license in New York for real estate, and uh, that's been that's been great. I'm looking forward to, to starting in March to taking my apartment up in New York again, uh, be there to do some Yankee work because the Yankees are bringing me back and, and working in the suites. Uh, I'll be doing some of the real estate, and then the biggest thing that I just kicked off uh, that I've been doing a lot of because people are finally realizing my story is that I've been doing a lot of public speaking, and I just do. I've been hired for a lot of corporate speaking to talk about, you know, just a motivational type speaking about talking about never giving up, you know, never being afraid to fail uh, and doing things. So um, I'm really looking forward to 2020, and I think it's going to be one of my best years uh, and, and really being able to do the speaking, but also uh, being part of the Yankees again and being up in New York trying to do real estate. And of course, making the money so I can put my five kids through school. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so I, I started a nice life out here in California with my new wife, my three boys, and my two stepdaughters. And like I said, for, since 2011, being out here uh, just really rebuilt everything that, uh, that I had lost. And uh, it's just been uh, quite a journey. I read a book called The Purpose Driven Life that changed my life forever uh, back in 2008. And uh, the pastor that wrote that book happens to be the pastor of my church out here in California. And um, Rick Warren, and uh, it's just been, like I said, it's been quite a journey, and I'm really looking forward to 2020 and what's, what what we have in store for 2020. That sounds great. Again, uh, that's Jim Laird's Jim, thanks so much for coming on. Glad to hear you'll be back part of the Yankees organization. Thank you so much for all the great memories from your playing career and, and all the best in your continued life after baseball. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you guys for having me. All right. Thanks again to Jim Laritz, another phenomenal guest. And I, Sean, I, I was cracking up with that story about the Brave Scouts and how they kind of <laughs> looked at each other after uh, after the home run. And um, it just—I <laughs> don't know why, but it kind of reminded me of Rocky IV when all of like the uh, what is it like the Russian government is all sitting above the ring and Rocky starts to like turn the fight and they all just kind of like. <laughs> worryingly look at each other like uh oh like we might be screwed well i mean it's not like they had a chance to to draft rocky (laughs) i know know, so it's just in terms Uh, of reaction i gotcha sort of like the uh like my favorite the the thanos look when uh the avengers assemble but um (laughs) yeah that's uh that that's quite a story and i know we had some technical difficulties when we were recording but the this the story about the sign stealing and how what he would say to the to the batter i don't know if that got in the recording there but uh basically if, if he heard the banging on the trash can layritz would tell, tell the pitcher we're going to hit this guy and and he, he would walk up to the batter and say after you get hit you go tell your team it's because we heard the banging <laughs> um that was awesome. That that is old school, and I don't I don't like hitting in the head. But I mean, you're going to drill a guy in the butt. 
no harm, no foul there. Yeah. I'm, I haven't been on, on board with the throwing at guys. I feel like if you want to make a point, strike them out. But, well, I mean, if they, if they have your signs, though, it's a little bit different. No, no, of course. And, and, and again, Laird's is from, from that era where back when, well, back when I also was, uh, you know, supportive of it because that's just all I knew from watching baseball and didn't really have, like, the perspective of that there's, you know, probably another way to handle it. But, yeah, I mean, his just phenomenal stories from from – Game four of '96 to being on the subway with Derek Jeter. He was telling that story, and I, I was just trying to imagine, like, could you believe what it would be like in today's world if, if not just Laird's, but obviously Derek Jeter is just on your subway and in, in the smartphone era. I mean, would those guys ever be able to get off that train? No, absolutely not. And that's, I, I mean, that's what we touched on. It it led to more like players could do different stuff and you know Laird said you know I took the subway to work to the stadium all the time nobody bothered me obviously Jeter's different um but yeah it's crazy but um you know you can't go out now without everybody has a camera on them now every single person and uh you know I I thought what he the point he made about camaraderie and and everything like that and how people see things and, and then take them out of perspective. Like if you saw a guy at a hotel bar the night before a game and a picture leaked out of him there and then he has a bad game, well, I mean, you know, you're not there. He could have been having one short beer and, and, and going home. Like I'm not sure like how realistic that is or unrealistic, but that's a possibility. But if you saw that, everybody would be like, oh, he was out drinking last night and now he's, you know, he stinks. And, and you know, people take that stuff out of perspective. Yeah, absolutely. So we we touched on obviously the historical significance of his home run, but before we wrap up, where does that home run rank in your top uh, Yankee moments? Well, I mean, I have to look at it because I I went to bed and I know Dad. You know, I was what I had just turned nine the day before that. Yes, I was I, absolutely asleep, and so that means you were six and a half ish. Yep. So. I mean, we were sleeping when it happened. Dad comes home banging on the door, according to Mom, saying they came back and tied it and, you know, turns on the TV and watches Boggs work his walk in the in the 10th inning, and and the rest is history. But in terms of historical perspective, it's probably the single most important moment of our Yankee lives. I mean, it changes everything. And, and you know, if the Yankees lose in 97 – even if Tory doesn't get fired at that moment, there's still rumors he's getting fired in 98 with their slow start or there's going to be some big trades. Uh, that That's pretty well known. And then they go on to have this amazing year. Even if they keep Tory in 90 to 98, he gets fired at the beginning of the year then because there's if he loses the World Series in 96 in five or five games, Steinbrenner is going to have no patience for a wild card uh, or round one exit in 97 and then a bad start in 98. So yeah. it changes everything. And I mean, a three-run homer when you're down by three in the eighth inning. What's going to be a bigger swing in a game than that? And it's a must-win game. You can't go down three to one when you're lined up to face um, Smoltz, Maddox, and 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 Glavin. Now I know the Yankees win Game Five and Six, but there's more pressure on the Braves. They definitely played tight in Game Five. Yeah, no, I agree. I I honestly don't even think it's it's a question. I think that is the most important home run of our Yankee lives, which we'll say is the, you know, 95 to present era. I, I don't, I was trying to think of one that would rival it. Um, the Boone, the Boone home run was obviously huge, just given the stakes and, and the rivalry at, at the time. Um, you, you think of some of the 2001 home runs that didn't end up in a World Series win, but just given everything going on with the city, that, that was huge. But in terms of, in terms of, historical significance for the Yankee franchise there's I don't think there's one that even rivals it yeah and I mean you know like I like I was trying to say it's not maybe the one that we we think about the most um but it's it's probably the most important just because we weren't you know conscious or awake when it happened I mean I definitely you know I'll go back and watch Tino's home run off Bung Young Kim or 
or the Boone home run or the Mr. November home run more often than I'll watch the, the, the 96 one. Plus it was on the road. So that always takes a little bit out, but I mean, you watch the Yankee dugout when that happens, it's, it gives you chills like that, you know, that was sort of that, that moment where it's like, holy crap, we could really do this. We could win the world series. And sure enough, the, from, from that point on, it was all Yankees the rest of the series. Yeah. Yes, it was. All right. Well, yeah, thanks to, to Jim Leiritz for taking us back down memory lane for that home run, which is our favorite World Series of all time. Um, so what are we uh, what are we looking forward to this this week as we wrap up? I have a feeling what one of us is going to take, so you, so you can go first. Well, I'm looking forward to um, to Monday. Oh, because it's it's the start of the baseball season on Monday. Even though pitchers and catchers don't report, we put a nail in the football season, which, you know, I, I'm going to let you take the Super Bowl itself. I'm not even going to take that. <laughs> I, I got I got our numbers, by the way, so I'll uh, I'll send you a copy. You still have to Venmo me. Yeah. Um, so now I'm looking forward to I always, you know, I always make my lame, stupid, lame joke after the Super Bowl ends. It's, it's baseball season. So. I'm looking forward to to the attention shifting over to to baseball, and I know like there's a lot of good stuff going on in college basketball right now around New Jersey with Rutgers. Rutgers, and don't forget Seton Hall. And Seton Hall, that's correct. Um, but just having gone to Rutgers, I'm a little more excited about that. I never thought I'd get into them, but I actually have been. But um, dude, it's it, baseball is my you know the number one thing um, that doesn't breathe that I love, and and I'm excited for for our focus to shift to baseball and. I mean, on Monday, we're, we're 10 days away from pitchers and catchers, so I'm pumped. Gotcha. I, uh, staying on the topic of you know reliving the teams that kind of ignited your fandom, I'm excited for Saturday night. I'm going to the Devils game, and it is... Uh, Why? Yeah, it's, well, A, because <laughs> the tickets were given to me for free. They, they, well, they're the Devils tickets. Of course they're they free. They include free food and drink. Oh, okay. And it is also the anniversary night that they're celebrating the 2000 Stanley Cup because they're playing the Dallas Stars. Everyone gets one of those cool, uh, you know, um, replica Stanley Cup rings, and they're going to be playing highlights of that run through through the whole game, as as I'm sure they will. And just like the '96 Yankees, that was the team that ignited my my hockey interest. Dad Dad took us to the conference finals that year. That was my first um, Devils playoff game. It happened to be the game that they lost to go down three games to one, but then they obviously made an incredible comeback and won the Stanley Cup. So I'm excited for that. That was the year that they lost game. Like they they had a chance to win the cup in Jersey and lost in triple OT, but then they won the next night in double OT. Yeah, Mike Madonna scored a goal in triple, and that was the game when Brodor and Eddie Belfour were just like having the most highlight, real crazy game. Like just both making incredible saves. It, it was a one nothing game in triple overtime. That's pretty wild. Yeah, and then that's, the Devils that's my won. Kind of game. And then the Devils won in overtime the next game. And that game was six. That was uh, uh, Arnott that scored. Yes, Arnott scored on. And if you go watch the highlight, the pass from Patrick Eliash when he's literally not even looking, it's just it was an incredible, incredible play. One of the coolest, one of the coolest plays I've ever seen. Obviously, given the stakes I had in it and uh, and what it meant for for you know devils fans in new jersey but it was pretty crazy i'm sure they're going to be playing it a lot on saturday so i'm looking forward to that it'll be a nice way to kind of forget about how the past two years have gone and uh remember some of the good times yeah wow ed belfort got arrested um for assaulting a hotel worker in kentucky jeez what well a lot of that going around yeah it's pretty unfortunate yeah for sure so right. that's it. We'll have a good time at the game. Yeah, I will. Um, all right. Well, I hope everybody enjoyed the interviews. Thanks again so much to Ty Hensley and Jim Lair. It's really, really enjoyed talking to both. I uh, hope everybody enjoys the Super Bowl. And once it's over, we we turn the page and we get one step closer to baseball season. So we'll see if there's some more to talk about next week or maybe we can bring on uh, another fun guest to help us continue to get through the off season. But until then, thank you everyone for listening and we will talk to you all next week. See you later, everybody.